Tesla dumps most of its Bitcoin at a huge loss, which is being blamed for the upside-down Bart Simpson pattern. Bitcoin's price has recovered more than 15%, and it is going to be our 52nd DCA Wednesday stack today. That and more on today's episode of the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as financial advice. All views expressed on this podcast are solely the opinions of the host and or any guests that we might have from time to time. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow a particular investing strategy. you sexy sat stackers and welcome to the latest episode of the bitcoin bulletin podcast today is wednesday july 20th 2022 and that means it is dca wednesday before we get into all that real quick however a look at the news until just a couple hours ago the big news was that bitcoin's price has recovered almost 16 percent 15 and a half percent or so in the last week as you know bitcoin dropped as low as seventeen thousand something um, before hovering in about the $20,000 range for pretty much most of the last month. And then all of a sudden popped as high as almost 24000 23800 or so in the last 24 hours, uh, representing a significant recovery, obviously significantly below that $69,000 all-time high, but a significant recovery nonetheless from what many people had already been calling a bottom. I think it's way too early to call out a bottom if you remember the 2018 crypto winter quote-unquote crypto crypto meaning scam coins but um <clears throat> the bitcoin winter the ico shakeout the long cold sleep until the 2020 having when we had the next bull cycle uh, we hovered well bitcoin did its thing where it bounced between um, the teens and six to eight thousand but kind of let's just say for all intents and purposes stayed right around that ten thousand dollar range sometimes it was up to 12 sometimes it was down to six and then we had the hash wars and many people are saying well that that time was different and the hash wars what triggered the huge dump but then we had that huge dump all the way to three thousand something of course we saw that again uh during the brief virus flash crash when all the lockdowns first started happening. But nonetheless, what I'm getting at is we went sideways for about a year and then there was one big final capitulation and we had a trigger for that uh, in that particular run and you never know what the trigger might be, but uh, maybe we already had our big black swan event with Elon's soft hands dumping 75% of their Bitcoin. And that is the big news that broke today. Tesla dumped 75% of its $1.5 billion Bitcoin investment. Apparently, they did it at one heck of a loss. Plan B on Twitter tweeting, quote, Now we know what caused this inverse BART pattern. Tesla sold 75% of its Bitcoin, and the market ripped them off for an average price of $29,000. And now it's done. Back to normal. Um. I have a personal story, which I may or may not ever share about Elon, but I can tell you one thing. If there's one person in the entire planet who I don't want to see benefit from Bitcoin, 
it would be CSW. But maybe somewhere in a distant second or third, it would be Elon Musk. For starters, the guy doesn't need the money. So for those people who are stacking stats humbly every day, $20 a week maybe like we're doing, just little bits, us minnows out there trying to add that pile, make that stack of stats just a little bit higher so that one day we can be part of the new financial system, maybe leave some something for our heirs. Um, I want that to be the plebs. I don't want that to be the world's richest man. Um, <clears throat> plus, Elon's kind of a clown, and he likes, obviously, you know he likes messing with uh, the Bitcoin price and his Dogecoin tweets and pumping his favorite shitcoin. Uh, so Elon being out of Bitcoin is a 100% net positive in my, in my humble opinion. Other than that, the major, major, major news is Bitcoin's big price rally this week. And I know $23,000 might not seem like a whole lot of money when you've got the, the hangover from the $69,000 all-time high. But just a couple years ago, Bitcoin had never really purchased, pierced that $20,000 range. They say the 2017 December high, people usually say was about 20000 But depending where you look at it, it was really like 18 something depending where you get your data. So $20,000... I don't know if how long you've been following this show. Obviously, we didn't start the Bitcoin Bulletin podcast until last summer. Bitcoin had already breached its previous all-time high. We were in between the double tops. But uh, if you've been around long enough to remember when, at least back when this bull run began and Bitcoin set the first, when it set its new all-time high above 20,000 for the first time, that December when it seemed like the, the all-time highs were matching the day, like it hit... Um, you know, 20 on the 20th, 21 on the 21st, 22 on the 22nd, 25,000 on Christmas Day kind of thing. That was pretty damn exciting. $23,000 at that time seemed like it was just, it was the moon or halfway to the moon. So keep that in mind when, you, when, you're, when you're looking at the Bitcoin price of around $23,000 and saying Bitcoin's only 23000 Personally, I'm disappointed Bitcoin is 23,000 because I was really hoping to stack another 100,000 sats today, and we're not going to get anywhere near that for our $20. Uh, so hopefully, um, hopefully, we, hopefully the bottom is in. I'm not willing to call it yet. I still think there's a potential of a huge minor capitulation event here. We're going to see more companies that are going to be forced to offload their Bitcoin or offload their, in this case, offload their mining equipment. Uh, and that could be a catalyst for another leg down. I am not a bear either. I am a long-term permable. I think Bitcoin goes up and to the right forever, forever, Laura, forever. But I'm not willing to call it a bottom yet because I've seen this bear market before and I've seen it take two years to play out before. And uh, if we've bottomed already, we got off easy. And I'd be happy with that too. Because, you know, nothing makes me happier than to watch the value of my stack increase and the value of it in U.S. dollars go through the roof as fiat money goes into the toilet. Uh, I also like to see it go up in terms of U.S. If, in terms of gold because, you know, I'm, I'm not a gold bug. I'm a fan of gold, believe it or not. Uh, but there's something adversarial about that one really obnoxious person out there who is, uh, I'm not going to mention him on this particular episode. Well, I, I probably will, actually. But I'm not going to mention him at, at this particular moment, but you all know who it is. And um, there's some schadenfreude in watching him squirm. So uh, it, it almost makes you want to hate gold. And I don't hate gold. I, I like gold. But it is fun to see the value of your stack go up in gold terms uh, in addition to U.S. dollar terms.
All right, before we ramble on any further, a quick look at the vital statistics. Uh, as I mentioned, it is Wednesday, July 20th. That makes it DCA Wednesday. This is also going to be DCA stack number 52. There are 52 Wednesdays in a year, so we will have stacked every single one of them, 52 Wednesdays in a row. And that is a historic milestone. I know we started stacking back on July 28th, so it hasn't been the one-year anniversary yet. It hasn't been over a year, but it has been exactly one year's worth of Wednesdays as of today. And as of today, we are sitting at a Bitcoin blockchain block height of 745814 that price I keep referring to, in U.S. dollar terms, Bitcoin is valued at 23320 U.S. dollars, or 4288 sats per cuck buck. That 4288 sats per dollar is down from, well, significantly from, I think, the, the, the high, the, the, the most U.S. dollars per cuck buck we purchased at was about a month ago when we got 5000 254 sats per dollar, so nowhere near the purchasing power we had a month ago. But we've certainly purchased Bitcoin for a lot more U.S. dollars in the past. Speaking of that person who shall not be named, if you wanted to trade your shiny yellow rocks, your little round my precious coins for Bitcoin, Bitcoin will currently cost you 13.8 ounces of gold per Bitcoin, that is up dramatically, or gold is down dramatically, depending on how you look at it. And in some ways, it's both because the price of gold is uh, the price of gold is down in terms of how much Bitcoin it will get you, and in terms of U.S. dollars. Last week, for example, one Bitcoin would purchase you a correction. It would take you eleven point seven ounces of gold to purchase just one Bitcoin. So almost two full Bitcoin correction, almost two full more coins, yellow coins, gold coins, two one-ounce American gold eagle coins or whatever your coin of purchase, your coin of choice is for you gold bugs out there stacking a little round one-ounce coins of gold under your mattress. Nonetheless, um, that is a significant change from last week. Uh, what has also changed since last week is one Bitcoin will now buy you 1,398 Papa John's pizzas that's 3.8 years worth of pizzas, three years, 10 months, and one day worth of pizzas for one Bitcoin. So if you want to say Bitcoin has no intrinsic value, well, you can eat for three years, 10 months, and one day on just one Bitcoin. So if you want to look at it in terms of security, there's a little bit of food security for you. The price of oil is uh, up a little bit from last week in Bitcoin terms. Right now, one Bitcoin will score you, uh, actually, the price of oil is down in Bitcoin terms. Uh, the One Bitcoin will score you 218.76 barrels of, of oil at the moment. That's at a rate of 457,100 sats per barrel. Last week, a barrel of oil, uh, or a Bitcoin would score you 203 barrels of oil, so You'll get 15 more barrels of oil if you can figure out where to stash them for that one Bitcoin. Obviously, I'm being sarcastic. I would never advocate that you trade your Bitcoin for oil. But uh, if, you value your, if you value your wealth in barrels of oil, today you're going to get more of them for just one Bitcoin. 
the metric that I know is controversial with some of you, but still I think is useful in terms of showing where we are in uh, in in terms of the valuation of Bitcoin at least is that market cap, and the market capitaliz the market capitalization of Bitcoin is up significantly this week as well. We popped above four hundred billion again to four hundred and forty four four hundred and forty five point five billion. That is what, almost $60 billion in additional market capitalization since last week's episode. We haven't seen $400 billion for one, two, three, four, four weeks, a month. It's been a, a month and one week since Bitcoin was above a $500 billion market capitalization. As you remember, at its all-time high, Bitcoin was well over $1 trillion in market capitalization. So we're down 60% or more from Bitcoin's all-time high in terms of market cap still. And I know plenty of you think that market cap is a worthless statistic, and in many ways it is a fantasy number, because, for example, you could create an S-coin, issue a million S-coins, sell yourself one of them for $1, and all of a sudden you're, that, that, that coin you just created with a few lines of code now has a $1 million market capitalization, even though no one's buying it, it's not in use, blah, blah, blah. Um, but as markets become more established, whether it's Bitcoin, gold, stocks, bonds, pork bellies, whatever, uh, market capitalization becomes more of a solidified number because as it's being traded more often, that number becomes more and more uh, more and more tangible. More, it actually is more and more of an actual realistic number. I know the vast majority of Bitcoin is in hardware wallets where it belongs, so there is not $445 billion of the Bitcoin being traded out there. But nonetheless, um, I find that that statistic at least at least entertaining, if not necessarily useful. And speaking of Bitcoin and the blockchain, there are currently 10 blocks worth of transactions pent up in the mempool. Uh, that is double, uh, uh, sorry, it's half of last week when there were 22 blocks waiting to clear. So um, there's a decent amount of activity on the blockchain. That's a misleading look at it, however, because just last night and the night before, the mempool was completely clear. And because it's completely clear, I think you can still count on one sat per byte transaction still clearing within a day. The fee estimator I'm looking at says it's going to take you 36 sats per byte to guarantee that your transaction is included on the next block. However, if you are not uh, closing a huge deal of some sort or desperately in need of the coins to be in your wallet or the U.S. dollars you're swapping it for to be in your bank account um, and you're comfortable waiting a little bit or you're doing or you want to do a consolidation, I think one sat per byte transactions will still clear within a day, probably within just a few hours because transactions seem to wane in the middle of the night when most Europeans and Americans are sleeping, which appears to be when the most on-chain activity is occurring, which is amusing because the most Bitcoin activity, we're told, is actually occurring in Places like Africa, Nigeria has one of the highest per capita uses of Bitcoin, uh, a place where they clearly need it. Uh, so nonetheless, uh, I was looking at the blockchain the other night and it was, um, it was clearing with very empty blocks repeatedly. So I think we can continue to count on one sat per byte transactions clearing within a day if you're looking at doing cons some consolidation or want to move some Bitcoin and don't want to pay a huge transaction fee to do so. Along those lines, my favorite statistic, you know, is the 24-hour transaction rate, the average number of transactions per second in a 24-hour on, on a 24-hour basis. 
And that was really anemic last night. We were under my my target goal of I like to three I like to see three transactions per second minimum on chain. And last week we had dropped a two point six four. Was the first time we'd seen anything that low in months, at least on Wednesdays. Again, weekends and nights when activity is lower, that volume drops. And speaking of which, uh, this weekend I had seen it as low as like two and a quarter transactions per second. But it's right back where I want to see it again at above three transactions per second. Currently humming along at 3.08 transactions per second. And again, that's on-chain transactions only. It does not include people swapping IOUs back and forth on exchanges or using the Lightning Network. The Lightning Network, of course, continuing to grow almost exponentially. I don't uh, have the I don't have that statistic right in front of me at the moment, but uh, it's again an all-time record. I think we're in an all-time record high of how much Bitcoin is tied up on the Lightning Network being used. Uh, when, I, when I say tied up, I mean guaranteed in channels on the Lightning Network. Uh, and if you don't know what the Lightning Network is, you're not, or you're not familiar with it as a layer two solution where you're using Bitcoin, but you're not using it on chain. Uh, it does require you to do an on-chain transaction to open or to close a channel. But if you have a Lightning node, you only need one or two channels open with other Lightning nodes, and then you're connected, and then you're basically swapping, um, basically you're swapping Bitcoin IOUs back and forth, but doing it in a trust-minimized way uh, on a second layer, on the second layer of Bitcoin. And you can use that Bitcoin indefinitely, and you never ever have to close a transaction unless you're going to upgrade, uh, you know, to a different version of Lightning that that would require you to close your channels or you know there's some development that comes along that requires you to close and reopen your channels but for all intents and purposes you can keep those channels open indefinitely it adds privacy it adds utility it makes your transactions settle on the lightning network instantaneously and it does so without it reflecting in that 24-hour transaction rate on chain because you're not doing anything on chain while those tra- while those while those channels on uh, between nodes are are open and speaking of on-chain, we are less than a day away from the next Bitcoin mining difficulty adjustment. We are currently 106 blocks away. Uh, and depending where you get your data, that is going to be a decrease in mining difficulty, anywhere from minus 5.2 to minus 5.83%. That is one of the biggest difficulty drops that we've seen, at least since that China miner ban where like almost half of the Bitcoin's hash power temporarily blinked offline when China banned mining and either the miners packed up their miners and moved them out of China or uh, put them into hiding temporarily. Uh, and I think, I don't remember what that difficulty drop was. Maybe it was more like 10%. It was obviously a big drop, uh, but this counts as a significant drop. For example, we have seen a series of increases followed by decreases, followed by increases, followed by decreases. But in general, mining difficulty had been trending upward. The last difficulty adjustment was a decrease as well, but it was only 1.4%. So if we hit uh, if we hit an almost 6% difficulty decrease here in about 18 or 19 hours, whenever we uh, whenever we whenever someone finds that last of the next 106 blocks, uh, that will be significant. Which is the beauty of Bitcoin, because as Bitcoin's price had plummeted and some of these miners that had invested so much money or borrowed so much money were looking like they were getting into trouble because mining was becoming less profitable. Uh, Obviously, some of them switched off their miners. 
That's why the difficulty is decreasing. And, um, well, they're about to get 5% to 6% more profitable, which, of course, will lead more miners to turn back on, which will lead to a difficulty increase. And the cycle continues. You know, the difficulty increase is probably one of Bitcoin's most ingenious inventions, uh, Satoshi's most ingenious inventions when he wrote Bitcoin, when he wrote the Bitcoin Core Protocol. Um, and the reason we're going to see that difficulty decrease is because blocks are currently averaging 10 minutes and 33 seconds. As you know, Satoshi's protocol says that Bitcoin should aim for an average of 10 minute blocks. Uh, they come in whenever they come in. Uh, you know, mining a Bitcoin is a random number game. It's like rolling dice over and over again until you hit a certain number. Um, and that can happen three or four blocks in a row in just a couple seconds, or it can take an hour. Uh, if you watch a block explorer, you can see the, the, the time to mine varies quite uh, quite a bit. Sometimes the Bitcoin, the block, sometimes it seems like there's just one block after another coming in, and sometimes it's like people are on Reddit or Twitter going, is Bitcoin broken? There hasn't been a block in over an hour. What's wrong? Well, nothing's wrong. What What it is, is that Bitcoin is supposed to average a block every 10 minutes, and so... That is why it adjusts every 2,016 blocks, because if it were going to adjust on the fly, like some S-coins do, or at least used to um, adjust their difficulty on the fly, um, that would just be chaos. Because if someone does find two, two blocks in rapid succession, Bitcoin difficulty would jack through the roof, and then you might not find a block for a day, and then Bitcoin difficulty would plummet, uh, and then you might find 20 blocks instantaneously before it had a chance to adjust. So... Um, that 2016 block uh, mining difficulty epic and adjusting with uh, a target of a target time of one block every 10 minutes was just absolutely genius. So far, it's worked flawlessly. And the proof of the pudding was in things like the Chinese miner ban, where all that hash power dropped off. And if you're an average Bitcoin user, you noticed nothing. If you're a Bitcoin miner and you stayed online, you got more profitable. Um, and that is, that is why I think that is probably the, one of the most genius concepts, one of the most genius things about the, diff, the, the Bitcoin protocol. All right. So as I said, the big news, of course, was Elon Musk dumping his Bitcoin. Prior to that, the big news had been the price. Speaking of plan B, he'd been tweeting relentlessly for the last several days about Bitcoin's 200-week moving average and its, and its uh, relative strength index, which he said were all indicating a bottom that Bitcoin had only touched its 200-week moving average, like at the bottom. Uh, it had never really breached the 200-week moving average before, before this, before this uh, bull, before this bear market, uh, and it had in fact breached the 200-week moving average a week or two ago. Uh, it is now above the 200-week moving average again, obviously, and the relative strength index has increased as well. Both were signals that Plan B was looking at to call a bottom. Of course, I think he tried to call a bottom earlier, maybe like as early as May or June. I'm, I could be forgetting, but I do think he sent some signals out there. I remember discussing distinctly. He wrote a tweet saying, "Well, that was funny. Or fun? Are you ready for the board?" I don't remember what the verbatim was, but basically, it was it was it was a tweet that was heavily heavily implied that the bottom was in, and clearly that wasn't the case. And maybe it still isn't the case, and only hindsight will know. But again, uh, he tweeted about nine hours ago that Bitcoin nice bounce off the 200-week moving average and realized price. 
uh, echoing his weeks worth of tweets about how Bitcoin had basically done something that indicated it was at a bottom by breaching the 200-week moving average price. All right. Um, I don't really have a whole lot more that I wanted to talk about this week. I wanted to just get this purchase over with before it gets too late. I know it's already super late where some of you are listening. That, t- that, t- that seems to be a trend with this, with this show. Uh, I call it DCA Wednesdays. And if you wake up first thing Monday morning and expect to see this episode in your podcast playlist, uh, you would be disappointed because I like to make this purchase in real time when in real time and prime time and prime time in the United States is right now. And uh, so we're going to go ahead and make that purchase. And to do so, uh, we're going to purchase using the handy dandy cash app. You know, I love the cash app. It is not necessarily the cheapest way to stack Bitcoin, and it is not necessarily even available where you're at. But it is certainly one of the easiest ways to stack Bitcoin. I like it because it solves a problem I see people ask about online all the time. And that is, is there any way to buy Bitcoin and immediately transfer it to your cold storage? The answer is yes. If you can use Cash App, you can add money to Cash App immediately, spend it immediately, and immediately transfer it to your hardware wallet. Not a lot of um, apps or brokerages will let you do that. They'll either hold your money and not let you invest it for up to five to seven business days, like Coinbase will do if you do a wire transfer of US dollars to your Coinbase account, or they'll let you purchase it but not move it for five to seven days in case your wire doesn't go through and then they can confiscate your Bitcoin. Because as you know, if it's on an exchange, it is not your Bitcoin, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. And speaking of not your Bitcoin, there's one more thing that kind of irks me that I wanted to talk about. And I don't expect the Bitcoin conference to be in Miami forever. The fact that they're getting ready to have it in Miami again for the third time in a row is pretty cool. Um, I like Florida. I like Miami. I like to see it there. And more importantly, I like to see Miami rewarded for embracing Bitcoin when the entire rest of the United States was crapping on it. If you remember, the Bitcoin conference was supposed to be in freaking California, but California would not let them hold a conference because they were having huge lockdowns and panicking about a virus that was going around. And there was going to be no conference until Miami opened up and said, we'll do it. We'll be happy to have you here. We're free and open. We love you. We're going to embrace Bitcoin. Come enjoy our gorgeous weather and our beautiful beaches and let's celebrate Bitcoin. And they had the most successful conference ever. And then again, they did it uh, a year later and they did Bitcoin 2022 in Miami this year. And it was the biggest event ever in Bitcoin's history. And that's all because Florida reached out and said, we're a free and open state. Bitcoiners are about freedom. We want you here. We want Bitcoiners here. We'll host your conference. We don't care that the rest of the world is freaking out and making you stick things in your arms and scan QR codes on your phones to prove that you are government approved to enter a building. So uh, they announced that they're going to do it one more year. Bitcoin 2023 will be in Miami, but then after that, it's going to move. Um, And I can tell you where it's probably going to move because the same sponsors have a conference coming up in Los Angeles called Pacific Bitcoin, which is cool. The more Bitcoin conferences, the better. But it's just disappointing to see people forgetting about how shitty the state of California treated you and your conferences. And the minute that, um, that the California is opening back up, they're flooding Bitcoiners and Bitcoin money back into a state that does not deserve your attention or your money. And I know there's a lot of Bitcoiners that live in California. It's one of the biggest states in the country. 
most populous places in the country. So we want Bitcoin conferences there and we want Bitcoin awareness there. We want Californians to have the benefit of Bitcoin, but uh, I'm just a little tiny bit irked about, about, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer in the 50 state republic concept of government that the United States is not a democracy or we're a representative republic where the federal government represents the 50 states, but the 50 states are individual sovereign states. And if one state wants to live a certain way, they have the right to do that as long as it's not living in a way that violates the, you know, the first 10 amendments or violates the constitution. The constitution is heavily restrictive on what the federal government can do. And basically a brief history in U.S. constitutional law for those who don't know, the Constitution has 10 amendments that establish the first 10 amendments that establish some very basic fundamental rights that the Founding Fathers wanted guaranteed anywhere. It didn't matter what your state you were in. But then it very specifically says that anything not delegated as a right or a power specifically delegated to the state is, or to the federal government is reserved for the states. So there have been some decisions recently that have been controversial where things have been struck down as um, not being part of the Constitution. Not, so nothing was struck down saying it was unconstitutional per se, but there was something very controversial that they basically said this right is not in the Constitution. And from a constructionist, strictly from looking at the rights that are enumerated specifically in the Constitution, uh, they didn't get that decision wrong. Now, that doesn't mean it sh it's something that people shouldn't have a right to. Uh, it just meant that it was up to the states. And so what happened was uh, there are some states that have decided that that issue is that they want it illegal in their state and some other states that embrace it that say we want that to be a right in our state and so the state's rights republic concept as the our country was organized that's how it's supposed to work same thing things like weed uh, marijuana was illegal at a federal level uh, and whether or not that was constitutional has always been dubious because there's nothing in the constitution that says other than the Interstate Commerce Clause that says the federal, that the, the federal government has the right to regulate interstate commerce, which they meant basically commerce between the states, not like your truck leaves South Carolina and enters North Carolina and therefore you're subject to federal, uh, federal legislation. They mean like states trading uh, against each other or, or disputes between the states and, and because at the time states issued their own currencies and things like that as well. So before the, before their, uh, before the Constitution was written and ratified that all kinds of things were used as money in the United States. So anyway, long and the short of it is there are states out there that they want marijuana to be legal and other states that don't want it to be legal. And there's states out there that want all drugs to be legal. Uh, and, and they have the right to do that. And if you live in a small town in some conservative little state and you don't want marijuana to be legal, well, you know what, that might make you a jerk or whatever, but it doesn't make it, um, it doesn't it it doesn't make it unconstitutional and i'm digressing what i'm getting at is um this whole lockdown thing really illustrated the difference between the 50 states that every state has the right to govern themselves as they see according and if california wanted to lock down they had potentially potential potentially they had some civil rights violations there but let's say they didn't they had the right to pass the laws and the restrictions they did in a public emergency um, and so they, they lived their life the way they wanted to live their life. And they should face the consequences for that or the benefits or reap the benefits from that, depending on your point of view. So 
Adam Meister had a tweet on Twitter this afternoon. He summed it up beautifully. He said, before 2020, Miami was not on the Bitcoin radar. California really blew it. Karen-style government ends up costing jurisdictions in terms of business innovation and on-the-ground vibrancy. Cities that want to be cities that want to be tech leaders in this golden age decade will learn will learn from this Bitcoin. Uh, and he's right, I hope. Um, so end of rant with um, if we end up seeing Bitcoin 2024 in Los Angeles or San Francisco, uh, that will be really disappointing. That is all I'm saying. It is nice to see it move around, although it's also nice to have it just a couple hour drive down the beach. Um, and that was a huge side sidebar because I had just gotten my cash app open and we were just getting ready to make our Bitcoin stack. So let's get back on track. As I had mentioned, we're going to stack using cash app. I was, I was just talking about how great cash app is, but um, they are not a sponsor. We have a referral link, just like every Cash App user does, because we, they are not a sponsor and we are not important enough to get a custom referral code. It is a bit of alphabet soup, so I've posted a link in the show notes. If you do not have Cash App and you want to use Cash App and you click on that link and you use that referral code to sign up for Cash App, you will get $5 for free for signing up for Cash App and using it, and we'll get 5 bucks free as well. So you'll get 5 bucks, and you'll be basically tipping us 5 bucks. And that will help. So if you want to use Cash App and you don't already, please consider using that referral link. Once you have that Cash App open, buying Bitcoin is as easy as clicking the little B logo on the bottom right-hand corner, clicking buy, entering $20, because we've been purchasing $20 every week. Um, and the reason we are only purchasing $20 is twofold. It's because we want to show that uh, any amount is better than nothing, that even stacking as little as $20 a week, uh, you can still build a significant stack of Satoshis, uh, and we've already done so, I'd like to think. Um, all right, I'm not going to hit buy yet. I missed, a big, I missed a big part of this podcast. What are we doing? <laughs> We're dollar cost averaging. Some of you might not have been listening to this show, and not, might not have listened to the show before, and you might not have any, any clue what I'm talking about. So let me, hit, let me, let me go in reverse just a tiny bit here. And, uh, and then you say, what is dollar cost averaging? Well, dollar cost averaging is an investment strategy where you invest your money in equal portions at regular intervals, regardless of price. For example, this is going to be our 52nd stack. We started stacking every Wednesday back on July 28th of last year, almost exactly one year ago. Uh, so our equal portion we chose at $20. You choose an amount that is appropriate for you. If you're um, if you're like me, twenty dollars might be uh, a lot of you know might not be a, if you're if you're if you're a listener in in a rich European or country or United States, twenty dollars might be nothing to you. You might be out there DCing a thousand dollars a day, ten thousand dollars a day. You might be investing a billion dollars at a time, like Michael Saylor, or Elon Musk. But for a lot of my listeners, and as I mentioned last week, the most second most popular location for my listeners is in Argentina. Colombia is in there at like number four. So there are places where people are listening to me right now. And hello in Argentina. Hello in Colombia. Great to have you listening. Thank you for listening. Uh, where $20 might be a lot of money. Uh, it isn't necessarily a life savings amount of money, but to guarantee that you're going to stack every week without missing it, $20 can be a lot of money. And even in the United States, 
$20 is an easy amount of money that it might be what you spend at Starbucks every day, or you might hit the drive through at McDonald's, or you might be a smoker and smoke $20 a day worth of cigarettes. Um, those are easy things you can give up once a week. Don't go to Starbucks on Wednesday. Don't smoke a pack of cigarettes on Wednesday. Whatever you choose, uh, even in the most dire of circumstances, $20 is a number that I think most people should be able to come up with once a week. And that's why we chose it. Besides wanting to illustrate the fact that even investing as little as $20, it adds up fast. Um, and uh, we've stacked over $1,000 of the Bitcoin already at just $20 a pop. And regardless of where you live, all of a sudden $1,000 is starting to look like uh, a nice investment, something that you'd be proud of having in your savings. $1,000 stack of Bitcoin, um, that's that's more than a month's worth of living expenses in a lot of places. And you can live on that for a year in, in some places. So all of a sudden, $20 has turned into real money. Um, and that is what we wanted to show. All right, enough babbling. We're going to hit that buy button. I've already even entered $20, but it timed out. So I'm hitting buy $20. It is going to ask me to confirm. And boom, just like that, we've purchased another 84,439 sats. That is a lot of sats for just $20, but it is somehow disappointing. They say you don't change Bitcoin, Bitcoin changes you. And it's amazing how fast we got used to those cheap sats because, you know, last week we got 96,000 96, sats for our 20 bucks, 95,000 before that, 97,000 two weeks in a row before that. Um, it would have been nice to get another 90,000 sats, but we'll take 84,439 and be happy. And that increases our total stack to 2,637,198 sats. When Bitcoin hits the moon day, one day, whatever your personal moon is, let's say just for fun, Bitcoin goes up to $1 million, that 2.6 million sats is going to be worth $26,370. Uh, so if that happens, there's no way you could argue that that, that wasn't a one heck of a return on your investment. Um, who knows where Bitcoin will end up one day? We don't have a crystal ball and no one can, no one can predict the future. What I do firmly believe is it's going to be worth a heck of a lot more than the $1,000 we've tucked away so far. And even if it is not, it is nice to have at least a little bit of money tucked away in something sound, a sound money like Bitcoin, as opposed to the rapidly depreciating U.S. dollar, which, as you remember, lost 9.1% of its value last month, at least on a year-over-year -year basis. Uh, and that's using CPI, which we all know is a heavily massaged heavily manipulated number. Uh, so in the long term, Bitcoin's value has been increasing. The US dollar has lost 98% of its value since it was first created as a fiat Federal Reserve note in 1913. Perhaps the most important about part about this stack, though, is we have decreased our average purchase price. The neat thing about dollar cost averaging is we've purchased we purchased darn near the all-time high and we purchased as low as you know what did we purchase at our cheapest was uh, less than 20 i think we purchased as cheap as $19,949 but our average purchase price now is down to $39,435.80 obviously that is more than bitcoin is currently worth but had we yoloed in at 69,000 obviously it would be a much different picture 
And this week's purchase dropped that value, that average cost basis down by another $520. So by continuing to stack while Bitcoin is low, we're bringing that average cost basis down, uh, which is also really cool. Again, if we had YOLO'd in um, at the all-time high, we would have about a third as many Satoshis as we currently have. So so I think uh, it's way too soon to tell. Bitcoin should be viewed as a long-term investment any way you get into it. You know, you should plan on holding Bitcoin for a minimum of one complete cycle. Uh, a lot of people say you should plan on holding Bitcoin for a, forever, uh, a minimum of 10 years at least. Anybody who has gotten really quote-unquote lucky with their Bitcoin investment has done so on a multi-year horizon. You know, when you hear stories about people turning $20 into thousands of dollars, it's over a 10-year time frame. So it's way too soon to judge Bitcoin uh, and to judge our DCA investment theory as a success or a failure. But one thing it's shown, it's shown two things clearly. It's shown that if you only have $20 in your pocket that you can, that you can just blow on a movie ticket or Starbucks or whatever, and you want to invest it, that that $20 will add up in 52, over 52 Wednesdays, which have gone by like, it seems like it was just yesterday. doesn't seem like we've stacked 52 times already. Uh, we've stacked $1,040. And the difference between saying, is $20 enough money to buy Bitcoin? And is $1,000 enough Bitcoin? Uh, those are huge. That's a huge divergence between $20 and $1,000. A lot of people might poo-poo $20 and say that's nothing. Um, but almost nobody would poo-poo a $1,000 bill. So um, it's proved that, it, if nothing else, that, that it is a useful tool for building that stack. Uh, we've become Satoshi millionaires twice over now, um, almost, almost a third time. We have 2.6 million Satoshis in our stack, and we did that $20 at a time. And it is not over. We are going to keep stacking sats every Wednesday, and we're going to do so until either Bitcoin hits the moon, there are no sats out there left to buy, it crashes somehow and goes to zero, or you just get bored and stop listening. Uh, but until then, thank you for listening, and you keep stacking those sats, you sexy sat stackers.